0: welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Father, we are so thankful that you have welcomed us into your presence through our brother Kenny's call to worship to worship you. you welcome welcomed us in here through him and we just thank you for that. We Thank you that you've designed us in such a way that we actually really enjoy declaring your praise and worship. We love to speak and sing about the things we love most and what we love most is you. And yet as we draw near to you and worship, our sin becomes more evident to us. Your holiness exposes our falseness. And so this morning, we just want to confess before you right now that we have sinned against you in thought and word and in deed by what we've done and by what we've left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart, mind, and strength. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. And we just want to declare to you before we go further that we're truly sorry for our sin and we repent of it. And for the sake of Jesus, we ask that you would have mercy on us and forgive us. And then we pray that you give us newness. Help us to delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. You alone, God, can order the unruly wills and affections of our sinful hearts. Grant us today, your people, that we would love the things you love And desire the things you promise. Grant that in this turbulent world, our hearts would be so tightly fixed to where true joy is found, only in your son. And we ask too, Lord, that you would bless the other churches, even just in this little city, that you would bless the other churches that are here. Revival Church, um, Impact Church, uh, Faith Bible Church Menifee with the pastors Jake and Danny and Daniel there. We pray that you bless their church this morning. We pray that you bless uh, Center Church and uh, Thor Ramsey, the pastor there, that as he preaches the word, that you be blessing him. We pray, Lord, that you bless the View Church up there in Sun City, as they're in a new building and reaching that community. We pray, Lord, that many will be drawn to the gospel. We pray, Lord, that you bless and protect our brothers and sisters throughout the world, especially those in difficult places, like our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka and uh, our brothers and sisters in Somalia. We pray, Lord, that David, our pastor David, as he's in Cambodia, that you bless him to minister there and uh, encourage the team that's there. We pray, Lord, too, that you would draw near to all those who are victims of injustice of every kind. Lord, we pray specifically for those who were attacked yesterday in the synagogue in in Poway. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come. We pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we are ready for you to come and reign among us. And it's in the name of King Jesus that we pray. All God's people say it. Amen. So we're in a new series We're in a series on the Holy Spirit You guys have cards about that? These are cards you can invite people Or it's a card that could remind you of what we're doing So that you know um, But on the night that Jesus was betrayed uh, On the night before he was crucified Jesus, The reality of Jesus' departure Was starting to kind of sink in At least to some of his disciples And Jesus sensed their sorrow And he said this in John 16:6. 6, he said, but because I have said these things to you Sorrow has filled your heart Nevertheless, and this is the shocking thing, he said, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. That's a shocking statement when you really think about it. How can it be better for those disciples, for Jesus to physically leave them? How can the presence of the Holy Spirit actually be better than Jesus' physical presence with them? That's what he's saying. He's saying, it's better I leave. Because someone who's gonna bless you in a deeper way is coming. And we often think, guys, don't we, that our faith would be stronger if we lived in the time when we were with Jesus, walking around with him like the disciples do. We think, you know, our faith would somehow be stronger, our commitment would be deeper, our ministry would be more fruitful, maybe we'd have more evangelism success. If we lived in that time when Jesus could walk next to us on this earth. But Jesus says that the exact opposite is the truth. He said, it is better for you that I go away. It's to your advantage that I go away for if i don't go away the helper will not come to you but if i go i will send him to you and so it's that shocking statement that started this series so we'll do seven weeks on the holy spirit because we want to say how is that possibly true how is it possibly true that the presence of the holy spirit in us is better than what they had jesus walking alongside them one of the things this verse tells us is that we probably have no idea how good the gift of the holy spirit is we probably just have no idea okay we need seven weeks to really marinate on how good the gift of the spirit is and it probably tells us too that we're not walking in even maybe one percent of the gift we've been given and so um last sunday it was easter um and a lot of you guys managed to come back the week after easter which is impressive by the way i don't want you to give yourselves a hand or anything but um it's impressive People <laughs> are usually tired and then i up, did it twice last week i'm gonna, but you guys are here last Sunday was easter we celebrated that Jesus after he died on the cross, rose from the dead. It's a high point of the church calendar. A lot of times right after, it's kind of like there's this, what do we do next? It's feeling like, what's next after Easter? Everybody's tired and things like that. Uh, do we just return to life as usual? You know, After seeing the resurrection miracle, do we go back to just being obsessed about every other thing other than Jesus? Well, biblically, in the narrative here, and in our church calendar as well, it helps us. Because there was Good Friday, Easter, and then 40 days later, there's the Ascension. And then 50 days after easter there's pentecost and so those first disciples they didn't just return to life as usual what did they do they waited they waited for the gift of the holy spirit as they were told to do those first disciples had seven weeks between easter and pentecost it was a season of waiting they're told to wait for the promise of the spirit and what that really is is they were really being taught to depend on god to depend on god the spirit to do things in their lives that only he can do and so during this series up until pentecost we're going to learn to wait and i hope what we'll do is we'll stop assuming that we know how to live our own lives and that we're strong enough to live our own lives and that we learn to depend on the spirit we're going to do it in that same seven week period that the, the first church did which is really exciting so for this first Sunday, what i want to do is i want to look at how believers experience the holy spirit in the old testament what god promised would come in the new and then how those first changes affected those disciples. And so we're gonna start the Old Testament. Um, we're gonna start with just the fact that the Holy Spirit is very active in the Old Testament. And that's not a surprise, because the Holy Spirit's God, and God is very active, right? So God is very, uh, the Holy Spirit was very active in the Old Testament. One side note, the Holy Spirit's God, and I think a lot of us have a little trouble when we talk about him, talking about him in ways that you really shouldn't talk about God. For example, he's not an id. And some of you guys will do that, don't freak out, I'm not going to go crazy on your thing. It's something we have to learn not to do because the Father, you would call the Father an it, it's real obvious. The Spirit, well, uh, the Son, real obvious, you're call Him an it. But the Holy Spirit, it's kind of easy for people to fall into this pattern you're thinking of thinking Him as a force, as a power, as something less than a person. So He's a head, He, not an it. Um, as the Nicene Creed it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, and the Giver of Life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is to be worshipped and glorified. He's God, so we don't speak of Him in any way we wouldn't speak about God. For example, in some hypercharismatic situations, people talk about like, um, well, you got to learn to use the Spirit. Okay, that doesn't make sense if He's God. use I mean, God, um, or you know, catch the Spirit, or you know, fire the Spirit down on somebody. Like you don't talk that way because He's God. Okay, And so um, what was he doing in the Old Testament? He was involved in creation. Look at Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And so the Holy Spirit was actually involved in creating this world. Second century pastor uh asked, he said that the Father, when he chose to create the world, he didn't do it for me. he created me. He, he created the world through the Father and the Son as if they were his right and left hand. And so he says he spoke to the, the Son and the Spirit and said, let us make man in our own image. And so the Holy Spirit was giving life in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was giving spiritual life in the Old Testament. Um, people were saved in the Old Testament the same way people are saved now. That's right. It's through trusting in the Messiah. So they would hear the word about the Messiah, believe upon him, and they were saved. They were looking forward to a Messiah to come. We looked back to a Messiah who came. But every time somebody came to put their faith in the Messiah, that was the Holy Spirit at work, right? The Holy Spirit's the one who gives faith, who brings people to spiritual life. And so anyone who came to trust the Messiah, that was the Holy Spirit at work. The Holy Spirit was also involved in um, being present and visible to his people and leading his people. Sometimes appearing as a cloud. Can you guys think of When? Uh, the exodus, right, the exodus would have been one of them. The pillar of the cloud was the Holy Spirit leading them. So it says in Exodus 13, and the Lord went before them and by day as a pillar of cloud leading them along the way. We also see what other time was the Spirit appear as a cloud? What's that? In the temple? In the temple, when they, they built the temple, and remember the temple was filled with smoke or filled with a cloud so that the priest couldn't even be in there to minister because of the cloud, the presence of God filling the temple. Amazing, right? He was involved with um, empowering his people to serve. A lot of times you'll see this phrase, the Spirit of the Lord came upon somebody or the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon somebody and empowered them to do some act of service for God. You see that with Samson, kind of a unique one. In Judges 15, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. He picks up a donkey jawbone and he beats down a thousand guys. You know how big a donkey jawbone is? It's like this big. a tiny little jawbone. He's like working over a thousand people. Interesting, empowerment, preserveth, I agree. Um, Saul, the Spirit came upon him and he prophesied. Interesting though, when you see the Holy Spirit empowering people in the Old Testament, you often hear about him coming upon people but not being in them. There's two exceptions, Joshua and Bezalel, who's an artist. But in general, the Spirit comes upon people, not in them in the Old Testament. It's a little bit of a different thing. Um, he also seems to just be empowering um, leaders, kings, priests, Judges for specific functions. You don't see him generally coming upon ordinary people They seem to be for special purposes and functions and he could leave them. That's an interesting thing in the Old Testament too Who did he famously leave? Saul. He left Saul, right? The Holy Spirit was upon Saul, left Saul, an evil spirit comes into Saul And um, David had seen this. David was terrified of that happening to him and so in Psalm 51 he says take not your Holy Spirit for me after he had sinned, he thought, I don't want to happen to me, what happened to Saul? And yet, as active as the Holy Spirit was in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, in the beginnings of the New, we see rumors of and and prophecies about someday God is going to dwell with his people in a richer way through the Spirit. And the first one I want to draw your attention to is, is the wish, not really a prophecy, but it was a wish of a frustrated leader. Take a look at uh, Numbers 11 really cool story here, Numbers 11, where the people are in the wilderness, right, and what are they doing in the wilderness? Complain, yes, that's the standard. People are in the wilderness and they what? Complain, right? That's pretty standard. Everybody knows that. And that's not just this chapter. Um, so in Numbers uh, 11, 4, they say this. They're tired of the man. okay? They're tired of the supernatural bread coming from the sky. And they say this. Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost us nothing. The leeks, the onions, the garlic. And now our strength is right up, and all we have is this manna to look at. There's a lot of problems there, right? One thing is, is that meat was not free to Egypt, okay? They were slaves. They, they act like, they like lived in a hometown buffet or something, you know, it's like, oh, the food was there, we just sat and ate, it's like, we were slaves, dummies, right, okay? Also, this bread they're complaining about comes down out of the sky every day, okay? like this is awesome and it tasted great from the descriptions from the reviews that i read and they say oh we just have this manna to what to look at eat it right it's like you can see why moses gets so crazy on these people and he loses it look at verse 11 he says "And, and and the lord said and then moses said to the lord why have you dealt ill with your servant why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them that they should, say, carry me in your bosom and nurse me as a nursing child to the land you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get me to give all these people? For they weep before me, saying, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, kill me. Kill me at once, if I found favor inside that I will not see my wretchedness. Um, one thing to notice here, just side note: the so-called Moses model did not work for Moses, okay? He wants to die. So, if we ever thought, like, let's think the church like the Moses model? Well, look what it did to him. <laughs> Moses is like, Lord, kill me. What does the Lord say? He goes, whoa, buddy, easy, bring me 70 elders. Look at verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel. Dropping down a little further and i will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them and they shall bear the burden for the people with you so that you may not bear it alone interestingly this same plan was uh, plan very similar actually was given by who before this you guys remember he was given jethro. To jethro right so moses father-in-law had told him in exodus 18 hey you shouldn't be doing all this you need to delegate grab some people to help you out this sounds very similar. What's the difference? Well, if you go back and you look at Exodus 18 and you compare it to Numbers 11, there is a huge difference between Jethro's plan and Moses' plan, and the difference is the Holy Spirit. The difference is the Holy Spirit. Jethro just said, hey, you need to delegate. God says you need 70 spirit-empowered people to help you. Jethro offered human power. God offers divine power. And we need to hear this because we live in a very pragmatic, um, life-hacker here's five tips to a better kind of life culture, don't we? Like we can go on constant blogs that have five tips for this, top five tips for that. It's as if all of our problems get solved with some nice little life tips, right? That's what we tend to think. Guys, could it be that there is no life tip to fix your problems? Could it be in this room that almost every one of you have a massive problem in your life that no life tip can handle? There is no life tip to fix your marriage. There is no life tip Tip to fix your attitude, which is the real problem in many marriages. There is no life tip to fix your children. Maybe it's time. Do you think it might be time to stop patching your life with band aid life tips and start fasting and praying for the Spirit to come? Amen. Hint. The answer is yes. <laughs> okay? You need human help. You need the Spirit's help. And so these 70 elders, they receive the Spirit to help Moses. And then two other guys do too. Look at verse 26. Now, two men remain in the camp. One named Eldad, and the other Medad. And the Spirit rested on them. So these are, apart from the 70, there's two back in the camp, and the Spirit comes upon them. And then it says, um, and they were among those who registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, said, um, from his youth, said to to Moses, my Lord Moses, stop them he's like stop them! they're 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 doing spirit-powered things over there without us what does moses say are you jealous for my sake Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. He's thinking, this could make it much easier, right? What if the Holy Spirit was upon all of God's people in such a way that they had direct relationships with God? This would make my life easier. I wouldn't need to die, right? Isn't that awesome? But this is really a wish. This is not a prophecy yet. The prophecies come later. For example, the prophet Jeremiah starts to foresee something coming that's just like Moses wants. Jeremiah 31 31, he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out of the land, um, but my covenant they broke, though I was like a husband to them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with them, with the house of Israel in those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer will each one say to his neighbor and to each other's brother, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Something new coming, right? It's a new level of obedience to God. God's law is not written on a stone that they look at. God's law is written where? On the heart of you know this this book being taken and being shoved inside in their hearts that they would have God's law within and that they would know God. He wouldn't say, "Hey, you need to know the Lord. Let me tell you about the Lord," but they would all know the Lord, um, so that they can know God directly. That nobody has to be a second hander anymore. Isn't that great? And then the prophet Ezekiel comes along and he prophesies Ezekiel 36:26 and he goes deeper. He's kind of building on this. Listen to this. The Lord says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my words." This is a whole new thing. This is a new heart. This isn't just God's law on the heart. That's going to happen. It has happened. But also a heart that's alive to God. That's even better, right? It's one thing to have God's law in your heart. It's another thing to have a heart that's alive to God, a heart that wants to keep God's law because you actually love what God loves and you want to do what God wants you to do. You want to do it because you have a live heart. I love what the Book of Common Prayer says, and I quote it all the time at the beginning of service. But Book of Common Prayer has a prayer like this: "You alone, O oh God, can order the unruly wills and affections of sinful people." Isn't that awesome? Grant to us, your people, listen to this, that we may love the things which you command and desire the things you promise. But you want that? That's the gift of the Spirit. And then he says a little bit further, that not only we have a new heart, but I'm not only going to give you this new life heart, not only the law in your heart, but also the Holy Spirit, God himself, is going to live in your heart. And you see that there in Exodus 36. He says, I will cause a new spirit, my spirit, to be within you and cause you to walk in all my statutes. And, and then there's the prophet Joel. Take a look at Joel 2, 28. It 28. He says, it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will have visions. Even your male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. That's awesome. These are all prophecies of what a better reality to come—that the Holy Spirit would equally be available to every believer. That's different, right? Not just on kings and judges and prophets and priests, right? But that the Holy Spirit would work in every single believer in a new way. And the passage says, whether men or women, young or old, rich or poor. This is exactly what Moses wished for. And Joel says it's coming, right? And then you turn to the New Testament. Take a look at John one. Turn to the New Testament, and John the Baptist announces that Jesus is the one that's going to bring all these promises to being. Take a look at John one thirty three. John says this. He says, God who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? So he's saying, the one we've been waiting for to give the prophecy of Joel and Ezekiel and, and Jeremiah and what Moses always wished for, the one going to make that happen, he's here. And he talks about him in an interesting way. He says he will baptize people with the Spirit. Right? Baptize, that word means to immerse. So like you take a dry sponge, imagine yourself as a dry sponge, and be immersed in water and soak up all that water. Right, that's what it, that's what baptism means. It means to be immersed and to soak up. And what do you soak up? Yeah, the Spirit. What's the Spirit? The Spirit is God. He's saying he's going to immerse people in God, and then God is going to come within them. Take a look at John seven thirty-seven. Jesus' own words about his baptism. He says, "If anyone thirsts, let him come after me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water." And then John comments and this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in were to receive at pentecost for as yet the spirit had not yet been given because jesus had not yet been glorified isn't that amazing that god's spirit would not only live within us but that his presence would flow out of us like rivers of living water in a way that would affect everyone around us isn't that amazing And, and if you turn to john 14 12 he's saying that because the spirit would live in us in such a way that his god's presence would flow out of us he says this, John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. Jesus is saying that in greater works will he do than I do because I go to the Father. I can't <laughs> wait to talk about that. I won't do it this week. I'll leave you in suspense. <laughs> Take a look at John 14, 16. Jesus promises this before he goes about the Spirit coming into them. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Helper, and he will be with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, but will be in you. this is different than the Old Testament, right? We talk about the Spirit coming upon people, coming upon, resting upon people. What do we see here? He says, the Spirit, whom you know, because he dwells with you, will be what? In you. This is different, guys. This is a huge deal. That the holy spirit would come into not just come upon people he says you know him you know the spirit he dwells with you but he will be in you just as the cloud of the spirit of god filled the temple now he fills his people and and just as that cloud would emit from the temple the spirit now flows out of his people as streams of living water isn't that amazing you are the end times temple. And, and he says that he will be with you forever. This is different too. He assures them, not going to depart from you like Saul, right? So look at that. He will I, he will give you another helper and he will be with you forever. You guys remember Jesus' shocking statement in the beginning? It is to your advantage that I go away? It doesn't seem as shocking now, does it? Because you're seeing a little bit of what the advantage is, this coming of the Spirit. That we have it so much better, guys than the disciples had it that walked around with Jesus. Way better. They had it better after Pentecost, and we have it better than they had it. And, and, and we see that evidence in the disciples' own life. I wanna do a little before and after, because some people are like, hey, take this supplement, you know, you lose 10 pounds a day, or whatever, you know, Maybe that would be dysentery. <laughs> but um, it could be a little before and after picture, right? This is what I look at before, this is what I look at after. What's really cool is that Luke does a little before and after pictures of Pentecost. So Luke, he wrote the Gospel of Luke, he wrote Acts, and so what we have with Luke is we have a little presentation of, let's see what the disciples looked like before Pentecost, and then, boom, let's see what they look like now, right? So let's do that real quick. I want to show you this from, from Luke 9, because Luke 9 actually is at the end of Jesus' ministry. This is after the transfiguration, it says in Luke 9:37, they were coming down from the mountain, and boy were they coming down okay they head down the mountain for the transfiguration this is at the end of their three years of training first stop they come to is a man who's begging them please get this demon out of the kid. and then they can't and so they come to jesus and Jesus' diagnosis is my disciples don't have enough faith to do this it's after three years okay next stop jesus says this let these words sink into your ears okay what is that you guys are parents what does that mean <laughs> they're saying this okay like yeah there has been an issue before let these words sink in ears. The son of man is about to be delivered in the hands of evil men. And then it says, they did not understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him about it. Okay? <laughs> this is not good. is are three-year train, not in faith to cast out demons, don't know the gospel, don't know what the cross is about. We're not off to a good start. Next performance. It says, an argument arose among them as to which was the greatest. Okay? This is a problem. This is not good. Next step. Um, one of them comes up and says, "Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he doesn't follow with us." Okay, a little bit of competitive spirit here. Not on our team, really. Doing the same thing, but you know, not doing it with us, so we don't like it, right? Jesus corrects them and says, "Stop that. You know, they're not, uh, against us. They're for us." And then for the grand finale, I love this one. They come into a town, a Samaritan town, and they don't get received well. And so uh, disciples come up to Jesus and they say, "What?" They say, "Lord." um do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them (laughs) okay so this is the way we do this right we do a little door-to-door evangelism things don't go that great we nuke the neighborhood (laughs) this is their plan this is three years of training these are faithless people these are people that are ignorant about the cross they're jockeying for position among themselves petty competition want to nuke people that don't receive jesus this is a problem this is the end of their three-year training 24 7 with jesus going to have the mission and the church handed over to them like without the holy spirit this is going to be a big problem okay and so that's the before picture how about the after picture luke gives an after picture which is great it's in um, acts 2 uh, specifically focusing in on peter but when you look at um, peter right after Pente- pentecost so acts 2 14 holy spirit comes as promised it's 50 days after um, Easter, this is about 10 days after Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit comes down, people are speaking in tongues, there's a big commotion, everybody's like, what's this all about? And then Peter stands up boldly with courage and he preaches a super legit sermon. This is the same guy that like seven weeks before, couldn't even spell cross and he's preaching the cross. In like amazing, legit ways I mean, he masterfully weaves together Different Old Testament texts on the fly Explaining to the crowds How Jesus' death and resurrection is fulfilled It's amazing, and it's not just him You look at Stephen, one of the early deacons They're, they're going to stone him, and they're going to throw rocks to him And kill him, in Acts 7, he preaches this amazing Beautiful sermon about the Old Testament Points to Christ, unbelievable Under lots of pressure, about to be killed He was killed This amazing biblical understanding, guys This is the Holy Spirit in a person's life And I've seen this over and over again. I've seen guys that have no interest in Scripture, no understanding of Scripture. Suddenly, they can't put the Bible down. And they're finding all kinds of amazing insights that are really there that I've never seen before. They're like brand-new believers. It's the Holy Spirit, right? They have amazing courage. I mean, Peter was afraid. Seven weeks ago, he was afraid to stand with Jesus at his trial. Now, he doesn't care what happens to him. He doesn't care, you know, if they kill him. And it's not just Peter. All the disciples seemed completely unconcerned about what people thought about them or what would happen to them. They weren't like that before. I mean, we have a record of it in Luke. They were terrible before. Um, That was the Holy Spirit in them. There's amazing holiness. They're not perfect men, but they are clearly not natural men. There's something supernatural that's happened to them right I mean before it's like who's the greatest and all this nonsense right and then it's like lay down your life and die for others there's a sense of self-sacrifice and love and obedience it's amazing what changed Jesus baptized them with the spirit out of their hearts is now flowing a living water the spirit whom they knew who was with them is now in them and I bet the words are echoing in their head from Jesus as they're hearing him say see I told you the truth better than it go away. so the spirit will come to you Jesus is about all that not surprising. Guys, this is a part of the gospel promise Take a look at Acts 2 38 At the end of that first sermon He says this, repent and be baptized Each one of you in the name of Jesus Christ For the forgiveness of sins And you will receive the gift of the spirit The offer is not just forgiveness The offer is the gift of the spirit as well Both, Both forgiveness and the spirit The gospel is good news That Jesus will both pardon you and empower you That he will forgive you and fill you the Spirit being in you is a part of the gift of the gospel. I think a lot of times we don't give that part of the gospel. We should. That's a part of the gospel. You'll be forgiven, and you'll receive the gift of the Spirit. And guys, that makes Christianity, that makes the way of Jesus unlike any man-made religion. For example, we're saved by Jesus' work, not ours. Right? The religion says, here are the laws, good luck, we'll see if you make it. That's basically what religion tell you, right? The gospel says, Jesus has kept the law you couldn't. He's already made it to heaven for you. You're united with him. You will certainly be with him. Isn't that amazing? He's earned it for you. If you're in Christ today, your judgment day has been moved from the future to the past. On the cross, your sins were judged, and your verdict on you is now righteous. Yeah. And not only that, when you think about the Spirit, living by the Spirit's power and not ours is different than every religion every religion basically says it's up to you to live for god the gospel says it's up to god to live through you that's very different all religions say it is up to you to live for god the gospel says it is up to god to live through you who do you think lives better for god <laughs> probably god right he knows exactly what he wants and he's got all the power to do it guys have you ever received an electronic gift that you're really excited about and you notice on it, it says batteries not included have you ever had that happen on Christmas? Have you ever not known where to get batteries? Right? <laughs> Guys, that's what every man-made religion's like. It may look great, it might look wonderful, it might have you know great ceremonies and beautiful things and whatever. But there's no batteries included. There's no power in it, right? There's no power to live it. The gospel is good news with the batteries included. And much better, the batteries are God Himself living within you. Right? Not some inanimate power source. God himself lived within you. And guys, this affects the way we minister to each other in the church. And I want you guys to hear this really clearly, because it is a distinct thing if we think about. This changes how we minister to you, and how you minister to each other. If you're a Christian, we assume God's going to live through you. So we're not going to have to constantly prop you up. Okay? That's really important. Have you guys ever seen, um, and I'm not recommending it, that old 80s comedy, Weekend at Burns? I am not recommending it. I don't know that it's bad or not. I don't have a good enough memory. But, okay, so the deal I'm going to with Bernie's is, is a couple employees are invited to their, vacation, their Boston vacation house for the weekend, and Bernie dies, okay, their boss dies. And then they discover somehow, I can't remember, that Bernie had already hired like a hitman to kill them, and whenever they were kind of alone, the hitman was gonna kill them. So then they go, well, we don't want to die, so we're going to pretend Bernie's still alive and carry him around with us. And so they do all kinds of fun things with Bernie. He's dead. We're doing fun things with him and going out on both. And, so we and all kinds of hilarious 80s antics ensue, okay? Guys, some ministry approaches, that's the ministry approach of some churches, isn't it? Isn't it? To constantly prop up people who aren't alive, people who don't have the spirit. And what does that look like? That looks like you entertain them, you be careful not to say anything that offends them from the Bible. So, there's a problem if I am being careful not to offend Christians with the Bible. Okay? I'm like, we got a problem here. Like, we should all be, like, good with this, right? Like, that's part of the deal, right? I became like, a Christian, this is your book too? And I didn't bring this book, right? Okay, so, what do we, how do we do that? How do we try and problem up deaf people? We entertain them, we're careful not to offend them, we do all their ministry for them. Right? The church is a group of people that do ministry. We're to equip you for ministry, not do ministry for you. But if you're dead, know the spirit in you, then we do the ministry for you And, and, and provide people more and more services to keep them busy and entertained and engaged and make sure they never question all along that they're dead. Right? That's an actual ministry model. They don't say that, but that's what's happening. It's like, oh, you're bored? Okay, what do I need to do? Like, oh, you're having a hard time? Let me fix that for you, right? That's not what the church is about. Um, and, and besides being a very exhausting and expensive way to do ministry, it is incredibly deceptive in the worst possible way. Like, if you're dead, you want to know you're dead, right? So you can fix it, you're dead. Guys, right? so we need to be a church that points people to Jesus, the only one who can give them life, the one who baptizes, baptizes them, immerses them in the Holy Spirit. We don't want to be in the business of propping up dead people, right? Okay. And, and, and we know already, guys, For those of us who know Jesus, what's the call? The call is to live in a deeper way in the power of the Spirit. Because a lot of you might be thinking, like, well, what I saw happen to Peter, I don't really feel like it's happened to me, maybe to some degree, whatever. So what's the call? The call is that we would learn more to live in the power of the Spirit. If you're like, hey, I haven't seen the Spirit do things like that in my life, I've got good news for you today. There's more to be had. There's way more for me to have. When I said we haven't lived in 1% of what the Spirit can do in our lives, I'm including myself. Maybe you're further along in the way than I am. But that's what we want to do. That's my prayer for this series. It would be a season of removing hindrances to us living in the Spirit. And I want to real quickly, with the time I'm remaining, just give you four hindrances. I won't spend a lot of time on them. But four ways that we could right now hindering the Spirit's work of us. Okay? Assuming I'm alive, what's hindering me? Uh, first one would be not knowing about the gift of the Spirit. It actually, you do need to know about Him to live in it. Isn't that interesting? Not automatic. Um, Acts 19 1 is a really amusing situation Where Paul comes into Ephesus for the first time And he finds the disciples there And he says to them Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And you know what they say? No, we haven't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit Okay, like, there's no knowledge of the Holy Spirit here, right? That made a difference, guys These people lived in a weird transitional time After Pentecost Where you know people didn't experience Pentecost totally yet And things were going on like that But guys, theology matters It really, really matters that you know about the gift of the Spirit, and you know it's available to you, or you won't live in. The Holy Spirit's benefits are not totally automatic. That's why teaching is needed. That's why we need the Word. That's why we need to study what He has for us. We need to know how to seek Him, what we should be seeking, right? And that's why we're going to spend seven weeks on this. It seems like a long time. It's not. (laughs) It's actually real quick. Um, Another thing. So not knowing about Him. Excellent. Be grieving Him. Look at uh, Ephesians 4 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Notice, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, right? Just like Jesus said, He will not leave you. But you know what? You can make Him very miserable in His stay in you. He says, Don't grieve Him. Isn't that crazy? We can grieve Him, right? Um, and He's particularly grieved by what? If you look at the context anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, those are things listed below. And not breathing the Spirit, guys, is really an issue of hospitality. You know, the Holy Spirit has said that He will dwell in you forever, that He is going to live in you. He's not going to leave you. Your body, your heart are no longer your own. You are no longer alone, which is awesome. But then when you think about it, too, you are no longer alone in what you see, in what you hear, in what you think about. All these things we are actually presenting to the Holy Spirit who lives within us. God is not off somewhere on the cloud, somewhere. You know, watching you from afar, an aerial Google view or something like that. He has come to live within you. And what the passage is saying, be hospitable to your holy guest. Like there's certain people that come to your house, you have great reverence for them, and you kind of change your behavior and stuff like that. God lives in you. Be hospitable to this holy guest. Don't grieve the spirit. Next one would be um, quenching the spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the spirit. This passage is actually stunning. It's stunning because we know the Spirit is God. And he's saying, do not quench God the Spirit, right? It's as if there's a fire that God has for you and you're pouring water on it. You're quenching it, you're pouring it out. And the, the amazing thing is that God will allow his ministry in our lives to be quenched. The Holy Spirit will actually allow us to live in spiritual poverty if that's what we choose. Isn't that crazy? I just think that's wild. God can do whatever he wants. And if we decide to live in spiritual fo- poverty, if that's our choice, he'll allow it. We can quench him. Many of us are quenching him, have quenched him. Why would we quench him? I- I'll get into this in another message, but I think part of it from the context is, is works can be uncomfortable. Can they? Works of the spirit can often be experiential, perhaps subjective, perhaps emotional, perhaps make us feel vulnerable or super awkward, Right? There's a personality type that does this, right? I have that personality type. I'm super cautious, guys. I didn't start walking until I was nearly two. There was nothing wrong with my legs. It was just like, I'm not going to (laughs) fall. You know? Perfect walking, right? I'm super cautious. Guys, for those of us who are more rational and objective and reserved and careful, it can seem a lot safer to just live the way we've always lived and choose a type of spiritual poverty. But Paul's saying here, He's saying that we should not quench him. Now, Paul, later on in that passage, also says we should test all things, right? We should test things. He's not saying that everything somebody tells you is from the Spirit. Like these people that have glitter coming out of their air ducts at their church and stuff like that, saying it came from the Lord, you know, feathers dropping on people, all kinds of craziness, right? You guys all know who they are? (laughs) Tested. Yeah. You got any glitter? They tested the glitter. It's glitter, okay? It's not gold, nobody's getting rich off or so. thing. Well, somebody's getting rich off it. Um, we should test it. Test and see if it's from the word. But we all need to be more open, don't we, to the spirit of doing something in our lives that might be new, surprising, strange, and awkward. I feel like today, in our culture, like, we're so afraid of awkward. It's like people, like, on your tombstones, can gonna be like, you know, Karen, lived a great life, died of awkwardness. It's not going to happen. Okay? The Holy Spirit may want to do something super awkward in your life. And it would be awesome and wonderful. We'll talk more about that later. Do not quench the Spirit. What would be the opposite, though, of quenching the Spirit? Mm -hmm. Fanning into flame. I love that passage where Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God you've been given. That we would take where we're at and try and build on what we're experiencing with the Lord. Last one would be not asking. Take a look at Luke 9. He says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who o- knocks it will be open to them. And then I love this. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, would give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? And he says this to these people. If you, then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does the heavenly father know how to give what? The Holy Spirit to all who ask. Isn't that a surprising ending? You thought you were getting a Tesla. So did I. <laughs> Give the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Did you know that passage was about the Holy Spirit? He probably quoted it a bunch. See, yes, yeah, fine. It's about the Holy Spirit. The Father richly gives experiences the Holy Spirit to who? Those who ask. Now, every believer, guys, I don't want you to miss this. Please pay attention right now for more. Uh, every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You don't lose the Holy Spirit. You don't get the Holy Spirit later. But listen to this. That doesn't mean that every believer is empowered by the Spirit, transformed by the Spirit, or enjoying the Spirit at the same level. That's right. Right? There's a thing called filling. There's an ability to experience more and more of the Spirit's empowerment. That's what we're seeking, guys. It's not that I'm saying that you know, certain believers here don't have the Holy Spirit. I'm saying that we're not experiencing all that He has. And we got so much evidence of that. So ask, seek, not. You might ask, well, I have asked Him. I've asked Him. I've asked Him before. They didn't give it to me. Right? He didn't give me more experience of the spirit. Look at the context. He says, "Keep asking, keep pursuing, wrestle with him." Right? He said, "Well, you know, I already asked. How long did i wrestle with him?" Let's do it for seven weeks. Okay? Let's do it in a series. For, I don't know if it'll be longer. Let's just at least do seven weeks together. Okay? Let's do seven weeks of seeking to know this gift to repent of what grieves him, to kind of fan into flame that which we've been quenching, to ask the Father for more of the one he's happy to give us. Does that sound awesome? Yeah. Let's do that, let's pray. Father, we are convinced that we have not yet begun to live in the power of, or enjoy the presence of, this gift of your spirit. And so we ask you this morning, give us more. Jesus, you, as we have read, are the true spirit baptizer. Your life has shown us what it looks like to live fully in the Spirit. Your death and blood have cleansed us deep within and made our hearts a proper home for Him, which is amazing. Your resurrection shows us His power. Your ascension has sent Him to us. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgracemenifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.